If you will, take your Bible to the scripture you see on the screen, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Thank you, young folks. Luke chapter 9. Our message today is entitled, Becoming a Disciple. If you look on the screen, you're going to see a shocking uh, uh, logo that I put together for us. Bad. Becoming a Disciple. Living like Jesus. You'll hear more about that in days to come. Because, you know, the truth is, that's what we're about, is about becoming disciples. And the reason that is is because before his ascension, Jesus gave these words. He said, go. Actually, that's not really. That's the King James and most of the English translations is go. What he said in what house recorded in the original language is that as you are going. Can I give it to you in 10 mile Creek language? Since you're going to be out there anyway. And then he says, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And guess what? I'm not going to make you do it by yourself. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Now that led with make disciples. So my lightning quick mind tells me that if we're going to make disciples, we have to be disciples. Let me illustrate it this way. You decide that you want to be an electrician. Well, just because you decided that you want to be an electrician don't mean that you know what to do and can get a job and can work. In fact, you want to become an electrician, you have to go through a lot of steps. You have to get some instruction. First of all, let me say this. You have to get with an electrician. Hello? Somebody that knows what he's doing. You get with an electrician. You can do some study, maybe in school, some way. Then you go through an apprenticeship. Then you can get your, after a number of years, you can get your journeyman's electrician's license and then move on to the master license. It's a process that you have to grow. This is for, this is for safety as well as for competence. By the way, being a disciple of Jesus works in the same manner. It's not a one-and-done proposition. And I want to say this to dispel thoughts in this room. Being a disciple is not limited to people in vocational ministry. It is for everybody. Realizing that it takes a little bit of work, as I've described here, now, I'll just tell you, is that you go back to Jesus' example, he took 12 men, and it took him three years of intense training to make those guys into disciples. And oh, by the way, everybody didn't make the cut. Y'all got that? Nod, let me know that you're awake, okay? It's kind of like, it's kind of like, when I think about that, it's kind of like today that we don't really understand this thing for whatever reason we don't really understand this thing of being a disciple it's a little confusing i read a funny uh and i did read it it was a cartoon in a, in a former day but i read about it it was an old classic cartoon with 
car sitting there and a dog has his head out the car, out the, dog, out the uh, car. And he's talking to his friend Biff out on the ground. And he's so excited, he goes, Man, you're not going to believe what we're going to do. We're going to go to the grocery store. We're going to go to the post office. And then I get to go to the veterinarian. And I'm going to get tutored. Do you think the dog missed it? You think he misunderstood? You think he misunderstood the cost and the pain and what was really going to happen? When I think about that funny, goofy story, I wonder if that's the way, that's what's going on in the lives of a lot of American Christians. Somehow, we've missed it. Because listen, Jesus' call is the same for everyone. Here's the call. Jesus, are y'all listening? He said, follow me. Follow me. I wonder if that means what we think it means, if that means what we want it to mean, or if we really actually know what follow me really means. Now, I don't want to be offensive, but I'm going to be pretty direct today. Because in the American church, in American Christianity, for too many, following Jesus simply means I will join the church and all that goes along with it. What goes along with it? A lot of good things that should be a part. Well, perhaps I walk the aisle. Perhaps I pray a prayer. I get baptized. I get my name on the roll. My mom was a deep theologian. One day she, I was home. She said, Jerry, I am convinced that some people only want their name on the roll of a church so that when they die, it can be listed in their obituary. I said, come on, mama. She said, I believe that. But, but you, people come to join the church, the aisle, the prayer, the baptism, name on the roll, throw some money in the plate from time to time to pay the preacher, which is a wrong concept. And attend occasionally if I have absolutely, positively nothing else to do. And by the way, the modern day philosophy about how this works is that by all means, I don't let it really affect how I live. Now people may think that's... Not right, but it parallels what the former president of the IMB, International Mission Board, wrote. David Platt wrote this. He said, to be a Christian in America means you go through certain religious rituals, aisle, prayer, baptism, and call yourself a Christian, all the while living however you want to live. We'll leave that sitting there just for a second. Again, we may not like that, but everything I read, a lot of what I see, all the signs in our culture, our church culture, seems to point to this statement as being true. Everybody in this room knows that Jesus taught something different. So we say, how in the world would something like this happen? Where we get from where Jesus calls us to follow me to where it's just some religious ritual. How does it get there? I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you one. 
generationally, we have replaced our experiential connection to the Savior with an institutional connection to the church. And never forget this. The generational pull, the gravitational pull of this culture, of our DNA, is always away from walking experientially with Jesus. It's always pulling us away from discipleship. Generationally, it's taking its toll. I'm, I'm reading, I'm, actually, I'm listening to a book on Audible. Uh, it's, it's called What If by Chuck Swindoll. And, uh, um, excuse me, it's the wrong book. I'm, listening to, I'm also listening and reading a book by Tony Evans. Tony said this generationally. He says, in faith, think about it, in your faith, our for our forefathers, it was an experience. For our fathers, it was an inheritance. For us, it's a convenience. And for our kids, it's a nuisance. Because we've gotten away from that experiential part of our life. Last week, we hovered over the story of the rich young ruler. I know everybody remembers every word I said. But we talked about the rich young ruler and talked about that eye of the needle principle. Here's what happened. Jesus brought this young man. Now, remember, the rich young ruler was not some pagan. He was a good guy. He sat on the front row like the kids are sitting here. He was a good guy. He knew everything. He understood everything. And Jesus brought him to a very specific point of decision where he had to make one decision or the other. And he made the decision to walk away. Now, the scripture tells us that the man, when Jesus said, go sell all you have, all he was trying to do is rid him of his God. His wealth and his money and his life had become his God. And when Jesus told him to do that, the scripture tells us that the man was grieved and he walked away. But let me tell you, there were two people grieved in that story. Because I dare say that Jesus had a tear in his eye when the man chose the temporal over the eternal. When he chose this life over the life to come. But I do want you to know this. Jesus was broken hearted. But he did not and does not lower his divine standards. He allowed the man to walk away. And he will do that for us also. Jesus calls everybody to the same standards in the same way. And it pays us. If I use a real old Baptist word, it behooves us to not be like that dog in that silly cartoon. And it behooves us to understand what God has called us to, what Jesus expects of us. It's Jesus who says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not everybody who says the right words and tries to do the right things is going to make it into heaven. In fact, some of those folks around that throne he was talking about said, well, Lord, didn't we? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we? Didn't we treat people good? I mean, the list can go on and on. Didn't we? And as Jesus is almost saying, no, you really didn't. No, you didn't. Because, you see, he calls us to something different. 
We have to understand the level of it. Uh, I think this is up here. R.C. Sproul, yeah, said this. The main way people acquire a false sense of assurance of their salvation is believing a false understanding of the way of salvation. The average person, we may be above average in this church, so this may not be directed at you, but the average person knows very little about this term, Christian. The average person, average person can't tell you where it was birthed. I know some of you deep Bible people in here can go with Acts 11 at Antioch. Got you. At the same time, some of those folks can't, some of you cannot even tell me how many times it's used in the New Testament or how it was used. And I'm only saying that to say that today we kind of throw that term Christian around very loosely in our culture and what it means to be a Christian. So here's what we're going to do. If you follow me just for a bit, today we're going to lay the term Christian over here on the table. And we're not going to use it. The terms that we will use today will be Christ follower, follower of Christ, disciple of Christ. A follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. Why would you do that, Brother Jerry? Let me rock your world. You've never heard this before. Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. You will not find it in the Bible. He called us to be followers of him. His call to every person in this book was the same. And it was, follow me. Follow me. So today, you didn't think I was ever going to get to the scripture. Today, in Luke chapter 9, we're going to talk about three guys. We're going to read a very familiar story about three guys who really didn't understand this thing of following Jesus. We're going to unpack the story. And at the end, it may be fitting that we compare our concept, our understanding of following Jesus and being his disciple and see if our concept is compatible with what he demands. If you look there in verse 57, you can stand if you will. Let's stand to honor the reading of God's word if you don't mind. Verse 57, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you, follow you where, no, I will follow you wherever you may go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he, Jesus, said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first... Let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news 
of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three men all initially said yes. All initially said that they were going to follow him. But when they found out what it required, they walked away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will take your words and you will speak them into our hearts. I pray that you will open our eyes. I pray that you will open our hearts. I pray that you will open the eyes of our heart that we can see. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Being saved and being a disciple means more than most people think. From our text, I just, I just kind of want to unpack this of what it takes to be a true disciple. And I'm telling you, if you're, keeping, if you, if you're using the bulletin for notes, I'm only going to put that on your left on the screen. You'll have to listen for those on your, on your right. I'll try to make it as clear as I can. The first thing that it requires is a commitment that is true. A commitment that is true. Jesus never invited anyone. Jesus never sought anyone and he never seeks anyone to only participate. To get involved with him. It's always commitment. Why is it always commitment with Jesus? It is commitment because he is committed to us. How committed is he to us? Left his home in heaven, died on an old rugged cross, a bloody death, rose from the grave. With him it is always commitment. When you look here, the first guy volunteered. You heard me make the little joke, I will follow him. No, that's... But he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. He volunteered. Now, I will tell you this. Luke is kind. He says it's somebody. He says it's just somebody. Matthew says it wasn't just somebody. It was a scribe. Now, do you know what a scribe was? He's the church leader. I mean, he's the one that wrote everything down, Lucy. He's the one that wrote everything down. He, he, he pinned it out so everybody, so he obviously knew it. And, and he was the one, he was the one that should have known, should have had some kind of knowledge of what Jesus expected. And how did Jesus respond? Can I just give it to you again in 10 Mile Creek Lingo? Jesus said, huh, you want to follow me? You want to follow me? You sure? If you're going to follow me, do you even know where I'm going? Do you know what you'll have to go through? Do you know what I don't have? I don't even have a place to to lay my head. You see, folks, here's the thing that we need to get in our minds. Ultimately, at the end of time, at the end of life, Jesus and all of his disciples will spend an eternity in heaven. 
But the only people who make it there, please listen, the only people who make it there is whose commitment is true. It is unshakable. It is unbreakable. It is unflappable to lead, um, to follow where he leads, to go where he says to go, and to do what he says to do with him in our lives. But as you read this, for those who who are taking notes, keeping score, he also gives this word of caution in this same thing. You know, what the, you know what the caution is for us? You say you want to follow me. You'll say you'll go with me. But look, foxes have dens to go to. Birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man here on earth doesn't even have a place to lay his head. You know what that means? Before you think that you're going to follow Jesus, you better first consider what the cost is. Before you say that you're going to go wherever he goes, you better think about what it's going to cost you and how hard it may be. And I'm just going to give you this personal word. I think we're turning the corner in America where it's not going to be so um, easy anymore to worship Jehovah God. We better make sure. I mean, I think about all the martyrs from the uh, Anabaptists. I think about the man, can't call his name, they tied him at at the stake to burn him. They poured gunpowder over him. He had a beard. And they rub, he said, rub that gunpowder in. And he never denied Jesus as they burned him at the stake. Do we have that kind of faith? Some people won't even come to church services if you're not doing their favorite song or their favorite preacher's not preaching or, or their favorite singer's not singing. Is that really commitment, brothers and sisters? You see... Jesus was not rejecting the scribe's offer, and he was not rejecting the scribe. He was trying to refine the man's understanding of what this thing of following him was. If I put it in a funny way, he's trying to refine the man's understanding of his undertaking. For too long, Churches have offered an easy believism that's long on benefits and short on commitment. Church bodies have unwittingly, mind you, have taught, just pray the prayer and you're okay. Make no mistake, praying is the beginning, but it's only the beginning of a life. In Christ, it requires repentance, followed by seeking God, followed by life change, followed by commitment, followed by an eternal home, which is gained by following Jesus. Never forget this. Heaven is not mine nor yours nor mankind's objective. Heaven is... It's the outcome. It's the outcome. Jesus came to bring us back to God. 
And oh, by the way, we'll get to go to heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. It entails commitment. Not participation, commitment. And a commitment that stands in the time of trouble. And that's what you signed up for when you, when you trusted Jesus. If you never trusted Jesus, he calls you. And the benefits are wonderful, but it's commitment. And sometimes a preacher preaches a message like this, and, and somebody goes, well, I never knew that. It's kind of like the, kind of like the boy who was going to, um, he had graduated from preschool to kindergarten. And little Steve, I chose his name because of our own Steve. Little Steve ate lunch his first day of kindergarten. And when he got through his lunch, he got his backpack on, got everything together. And his teacher said, Where are you, what's going on, Steve? He goes, my mom comes and gets me every day after lunch. And the teacher tried to be as sweet as she could. She said, well, well Steve, you're no longer in preschool. You're now in kindergarten. You've got three more hours to go. And as he put his backpack down, he said, who signed me up for that? <laughs> Isn't that how what we feel like sometimes when we don't get the whole picture? You saw the little, little logo up there, bad, becoming a disciple. We're going to try to, as a church, the vision is to have classes, seminars, uh, projects, and other things to help us become Disciples, to live more like, to learn how to live more like Christ so that we have that commitment that is true. The second thing that I see from this, from this text is the second guy here. It's a call. He has a call. If you're going to be committed, you're going to be a disciple, it's a call that's been tested. The scribe volunteered. In verse uh, uh, 59, Jesus called the second guy and he said, follow me. This, this was Jesus' call and this is Jesus' call. When you prayed to receive Christ, whether it was a preacher, whether it was your mom and dad, whether it was a friend, when somebody led you to pray and receive Christ, I don't know what you were told, but Jesus says what he says to everyone. In that moment, his call to you was, follow me. Become my disciple. Become my apprentice. Become my intern. In fact, in Matthew 11, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He calls us to learn so that we know how to stand against the difficulties in this world. We don't know how to stand. Jesus, to this, to this man here, in verse 59, he says, follow me. This is a word of clarity. You're writing it down. The conversation went something like this. Jesus said, follow me. And the man goes, Lord, well, you got that part right. Lord, first let me go bury my father. And you think, well, that's a good thing. The problem was, as the story goes, dad wasn't dead yet. And in the Jewish custom, sometimes that could take a, an entire year to complete. As we read in their text last week, Jesus is all about honoring your parents, all about honoring your family. At the same time, family, please listen, because you're going to get mad at me, and I'm just the messenger. 
At the same time, family is never an excuse for a lackluster commitment to following Christ. It just didn't. Well, can you prove that? I didn't think you'd ever ask. Look at let's look at Matthew ten. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And that last one is a tough one. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And everyone who loses his life because of me will find it. You may wish that Jesus didn't say that, but he did. And it tests our hearts. His call is to follow me and to love me. Are you listening? To love me more than all of these. Certainly, there are some people that go, well, I just can't believe he's talking about the family. But if you read this, there's no way around that he's talking about family. Our Lord requires us. Our Lord requires us to have nothing in front of him in our lives. Nothing in front of him in our lives. He was trying, Jesus was trying to take this man and get him to rethink his priorities just like he does us. Tim Keller makes this statement. Is that up there? Go ahead. The human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them. Now, does everybody know what that means, make them a god? That's what it means. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if Attain them. I won't give you a freebie. This is not, I got to thinking about this just a few minutes ago in my office. As we think about the misplaced priorities and how it tests our hearts, John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory. That means you can take anything in your life and make an idol out of it. And, and if you look up there, he missed a successful career, love, material thing, family, hobbies. Make a God out of it. I'm going to caution us about making a God of anything, especially your family. Ed Litton, I heard him say when preaching on idols many years ago, he said, if you take... And you, and you raise your spouse, your parents, your kids, your grandkids, loved ones. You put on them the mantle of deity. You could crush them. Because humans aren't up to being somebody's God. What I will tell you is that be careful what you put in front of God. Because this is still his world. And he, can, he gives and he takes away. He can take away whatever you put in front of him. And I think he will. If we're going to be his disciple, we have to live this commitment that's true. We have to live the call that is tested. 
The third thing is I see in here from this last man is a conviction that's trusted. A conviction that's trusted. The third guy volunteered. If you look in verse 61, he said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first. I'll follow you, Lord, but first. I'll follow you, Lord, but first. I'm surprised Luke wrote the rest of the sentence. Because, brothers and sisters, like it or lump it, when you start an answer to the Lord with a conjunction, but, you start it out in reverse. It's like you know more than he does. This man basically said, okay, listen, this hits us where we live. This man basically said, you know, Lord, I'll follow you. That's cool. But I got some things to do before I follow you. I got, you're not my top man. On, you know, this, you're not my top gig. I, I got other things to do before I get there. And the truth is, Jesus heard this man's words like he hears ours too often. We speak and he hears. And he detects there's something wrong in the thinking. And we said a, con- we said a conviction. Conviction is deeper than a belief. Conviction is deeper than a philosophy. Conviction is that unshakable, unbreakable thing that you should live by. Kids, I know I embarrass y'all when I talk to you like this, but I'm going to. Right now, in the calm and cool of this moment, ladies and gentlemen, you need to decide how far morally is your line. You need to decide where your line is, and you go, I will not go beyond that. You do it here. You don't do it when you're alone with somebody of the opposite sex that you find attractive. You do it here, and you go, this is as far as I'm going, and you go, well, what if I lose them? Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you lose them over your principles, you never had them to start with. You're going, well, Brother Jerry, you're an old person. You've already lived and let live. I'm telling you, I had people to speak that into me when I was a teenager. You can't make a decision. <laughs> this goes for everybody. Your car doesn't run well when it runs hot. Could I get an amen? I mean, it'll stop dead on the side of the road. I'm just telling you, nothing runs well overheated, and your mind and emotion lead the way. Decide today. Make that, commit, make that conviction today. You see, if you make, that, make those commit convictions today, you come to those convictions today, you become a person who can be trusted with the work of the kingdom because your eyes are moving forward. I see this as a word of confirmation. In the words of Paul, he says, Man, keep looking toward the prize. Keep looking forward. Look on those things I've called you to, not I've called you from. Jesus confirms to us that we should look forward and we should look upward. And he does that in our text. I love this when he talks our language. This is Ten Mile Creek language. He uses an agricultural illustration. No man putting his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit, is worthy. Watch this is useful in the kingdom of God. Why is that? Gosh, I'm out of time. Y'all not listening fast enough. 
But I want to draw this picture for you. Because you've heard the scripture all your life, no man who's put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit for the kingdom of God. There are some guys in here that are old enough to remember that you took that plow into your field and you hitched your animal. It could be a... Papa had a jenny. We used a donkey. We used a horse. You could put your animal up there and pull the plow on. But also, I'm old enough to remember when my dad broke up his first garden back of our yard, he had a single bed plow and it had a wheel on the front of it. Y'all guys remember that? Don't say it like that, Ken. Yes. And you, it, was, it was a powered plow. It was all the power you got. And you could plow the ground. But here's what I'm going to tell you. You never had somebody with a horse or Jenny or, or a, a mule pulling that plow that way, looking, and they were looking back that way. You never had one with their hands on the plow this way, and they're looking back that way. You know why? Because the whole field become a mess. You can't plow straight looking back. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to be, if you're going to be of use in the kingdom of God, you have to have your eyes on the kingdom work that He's called us to ahead. Jesus is always on the lookout for those who, by their conviction, born out of their conversion, are ready to move forward, are ready to move onward, are ready to move upward. Now I'm going to end this point with this question. How am I, how are you going to really follow Jesus if we keep looking and thinking about the past? How can we move forward looking at the past? It's true that that our Lord is ever-present. That means there's no past or present. He's, he's in the present where we are. But it's also true that God leads his dear children, you and me, toward a new day, a new life, a new way, even a new home. If we're going to be his disciples, we have convictions that have been tested and are, are true that we can move forward with. Finally, finally, number four. Be a disciple. You have to have in your life a change that's tangible. A a change that you can touch. A change that people can see. A change evident for everybody. For all three of these guys who missed it, Jesus called them to change. He wanted them to change their directions. He wanted them to change their priorities. He wanted them to change their schedules. He wanted them to change their goals. He wanted them to change everything. This is the word of conversion. That's what happens at conversion when people get saved. Jesus comes into our heart, in our life, to change us from the inside out. And to do that, we have to make a clean break from the past, from the ways of the past. We have to look forward to what God is calling us to do. If we want to be, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple and you keep looking back, it's never going to work. How about, how about before I end, how about just a funny illustration of this? Whether you're going to look back or you're going to look forward. All you married people, how would it be if you got to your next anniversary and y'all are sitting in your living room 
And you looked over at your spouse and you said, a penny for your thoughts. And your spouse said, well, you know, I was thinking about the good old days before we got married. And and I was thinking especially of of how wonderful my life was back then. And right now, as you ask, I am thinking about all my old boyfriends or girlfriends. Would that work for anybody in here? I know what would happen if that happened to you. My phone would be ringing and you'd want some marriage counseling. Amen? Jesus left his home in heaven, and it was a pretty nice home. To come to earth to make a way for you and me to go to his very nice home. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ means that we literally burn the bridges and we never look back. The Bible teaches us that looking back is not all it's cracked up to be. Paul said forgetting what's behind, but when I think about looking back, I think about Lot's wife. It didn't work out so well for her. As I end this morning, being a follower of Christ is not a fly-by-night thing. It's not a do-it-when-you-want-to thing. It's a not-don't-bother-me type of life. It's an everyday walk by faith. What we forget is that while God is a loving God, not wanting any to perish, He's also a jealous God who will not, I want to say this emphatically, who will not accept second place in your life. Jesus' call is for all, for everyone. But it is also a call for all. Watch this. It's a call for your all. All that you are. All that you have. All that you ever hope to be. And He gives you, if you respond to that, He gives you what you can get nowhere else. He gives you inner peace. He gives you contentment. He gives you a helper in the Holy Spirit. He gives you abundant life here. He gives you eternal life over there. He gives you a home over there built by His divine hands. What He asks, what He requires, what He demands is that you follow Him down here. You trust Him as the only one who can forgive your sin. You trust Him as the one that can save your soul. And then down here you become His hands and feet in a daily way to touch the world with the good news of His love. Brothers and sisters, this is what being a disciple is all about. Does it include church attendance? You bet. This is the bride of Christ. Does it, believe, does it include service? Through the church, you bet. But the question today is,
Will you, will I, be his disciple? Well, if it doesn't cost too much, well, it's going to cost you. But just think about what he's paid. He's already done the heavy lifting. Now you come to him. Come to me, all you who are laborer and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Follow me. Let's pray together.